my friends, you're listening to Autism and Us with me, Maisie. When my son was diagnosed with autism at the age of four, I didn't know anything about autism. Oh wait, I'd seen Rain Man in the 80s. At the beginning, I felt devastated, isolated and afraid. Diagnosis day, the darkest of my life. It wasn't the masses of written information I was given that helped me. It was sharing stories with other Spectrum parents I met along the way, giving me tips and advice, and most importantly, made me feel like I'm not alone. I am no expert and don't claim to be. I'm a parent at the start of my journey. Each episode, I will be talking to a parent or a close family member of someone with autism, and they will share their story from the early years to diagnosis to present day. Welcome to Autism and Us. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Sean Pye. Sean is a comedian, an actor, and a writer. Sean has written for the likes of Nevermind the Buzzcocks, Have I Got News For You, The 11 O'Clock Show, Monkey Dust, 8 Out Of 10 Cats, and League Of The Rome. He recently created and wrote the comedy drama, There She Goes, which aired on BBC4 last October, starring David Tennant and Jessica Haynes. The show is based on Sean and his wife's real life experiences of raising a child with a rare disability. Their daughter, Joey, has a rare chromosomal disorder, not autism, but she is nonverbal and presents quite similarly to a child like my Charlie, who is severely autistic. When There She Goes came out, I noticed so many parents commenting on social media about how refreshing and amazing it was to see a nonverbal child on our screens. Many with nonverbal children feel isolated and find they have nothing to go by, as it were. It not only betrays the difficulties of raising a disabled child, but touches on the strain and painful memories of the early years, the moments when you realize your life is going to change and that you and your child are going to go on a very different journey than the one you'd always planned. I had so much fun talking to Sean. He is such a funny man. We had such a great time. I actually forgot to ask him about extras. He played Ricky Gervais's nemesis, Greg Lindley-Jones, and he was in my all-time favorite episode with David Bowie. If you haven't seen that one, definitely watch it. Well, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hello, Sean. Hello. So I normally start these with sort of a this is your life kind of. Um, so where you were born and how you got to where you are today in terms of career and also family. Um, I was uh, born in Yorkshire. I have a very large family. I have five sisters. And five sisters and you? Five sisters, a brother and me. It's sort of, it's a, we don't have time to go into that, I don't think, but it's a oh. massive amalgam of stepsisters and half-sisters and... Well, I have nine half-brothers and sisters. Wow. Okay, you've just beaten me. So <laughs> me say we don't have time to go into that, implying that I've got some amazing story. No, we had a strange, a slightly strange upbringing in that at one point we were living in a free love commune in a castle in New Yorkshire, but that didn't last very long and then it all went wrong. And then I went to live in Plymouth right, with some of the sisters and then via university I ended up in London where I started to work in telly after a while. And what uni did you go to? I went to Oxford, which is where I met Sarah, my wife, who we'll come on to, but she's yeah. in the show. And yeah, we were back there in uh, sort of 1990s, so we've been together for 26 years. Wow. Um, and then we moved to London. And yes, after not really knowing what I wanted to do, I ended up writing television. Did you write for 
a newspaper at first? Was that your, like, your first job? Or? I was initially, when I came to London, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I ended up editing uh, the Puzzler magazine. You know that magazine you buy at the airport and it's got word searches in. and Before iPads and phones, they were like iPads the main thing and, to do. Or, you know, proper book street. Um, and that was fun. And I'm not knocking it at all. But after about three years of doing that, I couldn't handle it anymore just because of the monotony. But it was a lovely time. And then I went and did a journalism course and then tried to be a journalist. and was so bad at it, I had to stop being a journalist. I couldn't fight. I, I, it, was, it was just awful. Were you just a bit rude? No. I was <laughs> actually, bizarrely, the other way, I, was, I worked for a trade magazine, a legal trade magazine, and um, I, they were getting to me to phone up sort of law firms around the world and, you know, chase stories and stuff. I remember once, just vividly remember once, phoning up someone because we heard they were shutting down or something and it was in, I don't know, Singapore, I think they were. And the bloke came on the end, he ran the firm and he just went, what's it got to do with you? And it was a real Pedro moment because I was like, what has it got to do with me? It's got nothing to do with me. I don't me. really care. I was going, you know, I've heard that there's trouble at your firm. And he went, what's it got to do with you? Why should, why, what do you care? So how did you make the jump from that to kind of stand up? Because I always think like that takes balls i did oh, i was doing stand-up while i was doing uh doing the journalism i did stand up at okay. uni and then that you know i left oxford and thought i'd put the world to rights with my uh with my stand and it went all right it was okay it was fun it was really good fun actually if you know you're 20 something in london it's a really back then it was anyway like brick pop days and sort of kind of i wouldn't say i was swept up in brick pop but that feel uh yeah back in the 90s it was it was a lot easier back then i'd talk to young stand-ups now and those just corporate and impossible and mm. you know back then you just you know spend the evening touring around London finding a club and saying can I go can I leave five minutes can I do five minutes <laughs> and so there was a sort of slightly you know sort of sort of loose sort of yeah Britpoppy cool. kind of magic kind of a magical time really I I'm looking back with such rose-tinted spectacles because, you know, I just know half the times I was just told to fuck off by (laughs) by the audience, by the six people in the audience. But I look back and I think it was kind of cool and fun and it certainly is a good education in doing uh, the sort of stuff I went on to do. But eventually I I, I wasn't good enough as a stand-up. There were people, I was, I did it, I was a contemporary of Frankie Boyle and Daniel Kitson and Jimmy Carr and... Michael McIntyre and all of these people were sort of my contemporaries, I suppose, you know, and I just looked at them and they just all had something that I didn't have, whether it was presence or just perseverance or just ability to deal with people. So I just thought, nah. But but, uh, but writing, because I remember watching like massive fan of Monkey Dust because we used to watch that at uni, obviously, up Mm. all night. And it was perfect because it didn't have, it didn't have like a linear story, or did it? It was kind of no. It was it was all set in one sort of fictional city, I suppose we wanted it to be. But it was it all linked. All the sketches would link in some way. This was Harry's big idea. That link in some way to the next one, but it wasn't a narrative. There was never any narrative. It was just it was designed to make it look as though you know it wasn't clunky it was sort of seamlessly traveling around this place looking at all these weird that was his and it was it was different it was like never seen anything like that and was that your first like big i want to say hit i don't know if that's the right thing to say in terms yeah of it like- was i so i got into writing via nepotism uh really and there's no denying it my one of my friends from uni was going out with harry thompson who was a tv producer 
and we'd just go to the pub and he was putting together the, the 11 o'clock show. I don't you know if you remember Yeah, I that, do, I do. amazing piece of television that gave us so many great things. But he uh, basically needed some people to write the terrible bits at the beginning where Ian Lee came out and did some quite poor <laughs> uh, topical jokes. So um, he asked me if I wanted to try my hand and I just went from there really. And then that's how I got to know Harry. And then he had this he had this idea for ages to do this cartoon, sort of dark, dystopian cartoon, sketch series, Monkey Dust. And then when it came to writing it, he asked me and a couple of other people to write it with him and the other people fell away eventually and it was just me and Harry that wrote it really. I mean, I don't think you could make... Well, maybe you could make it now. I don't think you could make it now. It was before BBC Three even. It was on BBC Choice and it was quite... It didn't get any great fanfare. It didn't get any... It was something that... I think Harry wanted people to discover it. didn't get great ratings. It got terrible ratings. Um, but it was a cult. It was kind but of But it was a... a cult thing. It was just Harry. He just he just knew how to push it and create it and create. My favourite story about Monkey Dust is we got to the end of the first series, didn't know if we were going to get any more because nobody watched Literally nobody watched it. Well, you watched it, but you know what I mean. I watched it. You know what I mean. You know, when you, you know in TV programmes that statistically get zero viewers because it just doesn't. And um, they were saying, oh, I don't know if we're going to make more of this. It's quite expensive. So Harry flew to the Banff Television Festival in Canada. He got some students together who were sort of vaguely involved and he took them out and he got them pissed and stoned. He paid for everything. And uh, he said, have you got like a student award? And they went, no. You know, they're like snowboarding sort of dude types. And he went, why don't you create a student award and why don't you give it to my program Monkey Dust? And he showed it to them when they were all pissed and stoned and they went, oh man, this this is funny. I like this dude. So they gave him this award. <laughs> it was like six of them in a bar, but they were vaguely to do it. And then he came back and he went to the BBC and he went, I've just won an international award for Monkey Dust. And they went, Series 2! If it's award winning, let's... And that literally is word for word how that panned out. So we got two more series That's out of amazing. it. amazing. What um, a clever guy. He was, he was. He's no longer with us, but he yeah. uh, he was a, he, he was infuriating to work with. And, you know, the, the people in telly, you may have heard some stories, they're legion about him, but... Uh, he was, in his own way, a genius, and Monkey Dust was his... Th- I was just on his coattails, really. And what directly... So when Monkey Dust finished, then... Because you write for a lot of really successful comedy what, panel shows. Yeah, and, that was the sort of... So uh, is that the next kind of journey, or was there something... Well, they sort before? of run parallel. Everything I've done has always run parallel, so I used to... Because Harry used to do Have I Got News, and... Um, they think it's all over and never mind the mm. and all of those shows. So, yeah, I've always sort of worked on those shows and I'm very proud to work on those shows, including League of Their Own, which well, I, that's I believe little... is both on both of our CVs. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, so I used to make tea for Sean 10 years ago. My first ever job as an office runner at CPR Productions, who make League of Their Own. And you're still, you still work on League oh, of Their God Own 10 years how. later. I'm just like some sort of damp or mould that you can't get rid of it's just you know we're still there so into like so your family life yes so you have more than one child obviously i have two you have two children so when talk to me about this about that so when your first child was born what year what year it was and so frank was born in 2004 so that's the end of monkey dust really that's um yeah then josephine joey came along uh, sort of 20 months later. So close. Close and not planned and sort of a... I was going to say. Uh, a happy-ish 
accident. <laughs> um, that's not even in hindsight. That's, uh, you know, I love, don't worry, we'll get on to Jerry and I love it a bit. But no, it was a sort of, um, I better not drink this Christmas because I'm pregnant. And it's like, oh, hooray. <laughs> Yay! Yay! That's, so, such, that's such good news. Isn't that good news? Yes, it is. When Joey was born, um, did you were you told that potentially there was um, an issue with her health yes. at the start? Okay, so you knew from the start. Yeah, we knew a couple of months before Sarah had a uh, went to the uh, normal checkup mm. with the. Um, I don't think it was a midwife. I think it was a nurse at the GPs, and was told that there hadn't been there was a problem with the growth. And it was impossible to know what that was, but it was like a marker. And then as it got closer and closer, it was evident that the Joey was growing, but she was growing at a rate that was abnormal. Um, so they had a C-section, planned C-section, because, I mean, that's, I mean, it would have been a C-section anyway, because Frank was C-section. So okay. it would have been a second C-section, but I think it would have been a C-section anyway. I think the doctor's wanted to get her out yeah. but do you remember at the time thinking oh she's a small baby yeah did you have questions and say yeah. oh, why is she small yes yes and also thinking to yourself well look some babies are big and some babies are small I mean it's a small baby means nothing and when she was born she was 5'1 um, at 38 I think uh, so not like which is not yeah absolutely I'm sure there's people listening to this who are saying well, you know there's would have had smaller babies or would have had whatever. So that in itself didn't set the alarm bells ringing. She did have a small head and that was noticeable when she came out. But again, not, I mean, babies are, you know, when babies come out, they're just, you have so overwhelmed yeah. with emotion. The first thing you do is and look down and go, oh, that one's got a small head. Um, her head was small. And we did have a comparison in our own lives because we'd had Frank mm. who was born, I can't remember, he's about eight pounds and... As far as we know, it doesn't have any yeah. health issues at all. So, so did the doctors say, oh, "Okay, great, you know, yeah. let's go home and we'll go for checkups," or were they like, "We need to keep an eye on this"? She was kept in longer than um, longer than you would expect, but the doctors were by no means all doom and gloom. The doctors were just, "Look, we're, we're just going to keep her in. We've given you a, you know, she had a C-section as well, so she would be mm. kept in for a few days." So the the doctors were just you know, we, we don't know what this is. And the midwives as well, she was having real problems feeding and that would continue for the rest of her life, really. Mm. Um, but again, the midwives weren't saying this is bad. They were just saying, you know, we're going to send you home. We're going to keep an eye on this. And so we, yeah, we left hospital a little bit unsure about what was going on. But yeah. I mean, but we'll go into the sick one the comedy drama you wrote there, she goes in more detail in, in a while. But um, I remember from the show, so the first sort of kind of worrying thing that made the mum worry is that she wouldn't stop crying. She seemed to be quite uncomfortable in her own skin. Yeah. Is this, because obviously it is based on your story, your journey. Yeah. So was that the first thing? In it was one of them. Um, she, you know, because babies cry. I mean, you know, it's... It, it, it's quite hard to say, oh, she won't stop crying, therefore there's something wrong. Um, mm. But she she seemed worse than Frank, to use the comparison. But Frank had had reflux, so he had cried quite a lot. But it's hard to explain. Sarah's a very scientific person, but she felt something was wrong. It's in the mother's yeah, gut, I she, guess. She probably would disagree if she was here because she is 
quite rationally minded. She is a scientist herself. But she, is she? Yeah. But she, uh, it just felt wrong. With Joey, I don't know specifically what it was, but I know that she wouldn't breastfeed. She just wouldn't have it. Now that I know, and she's 12 years old now. <laughs> I mean, I can now see that maybe it's just her personality because trying to get her to eat anything is... Is a, is a, I'm sure you know. So, so the, but so the breastfeeding, you gave that up, and it was gave just it up, a, and the bottle feeding wasn't amazing. Her sleeping was that. Sleeping was terrible. Her sleeping was terrible for. Um, again, you know, I, I'm talking possibly about the first few months, and yeah. the babies don't sleep. It was mainly over time that you started to realise she was upset all the time, not sleeping. These are things that sort of occurred over time. The main things when. Sarah in her sort of rational way and me in similarly start to think maybe she's not just small, maybe she's not just doesn't like breastfeeding, maybe there's something wrong, is she started to miss all of the the milestones. So sitting up. Yeah. Walking. Well, eye contact, smiling, sitting up. She was delayed in all of them. She eventually did do or she can't talk, but all the other Speech aside, all the other things like bum shuffling. Mm. Um, I mean, things before before they're supposed to kind of talk. Things yeah. when because you weren't even thinking about talking. Then it was like, oh, she's not. She's late no. with things before because that's what I thought with Charlie. He wasn't walking. He sat up. But he didn't walk until he was fifteen months. And yeah. when he crawled, he sort of dragged his leg behind, which we thought was a bit strange. But we just sort of made a joke out of it. We used to call him Gollum, which sounds really bad. <laughs> we said, "Oh, here's Gollum," um, yeah. but at the time we just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds very well similar, not in detail, but yeah. in, in 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 experience. Uh, things just were delayed. They were delayed from our own experiences. They were delayed, according to the books. They were, and it, you know, and then the the GP started confirming, saying it's late. The other thing was her growth. It wasn't like she was born and she was five one, and then suddenly, you know, she had a growth spur, or it carried on being slowly. I remember walking into the GPs with. Sarah and Joe, and the doctor pointing at a graph saying, this is where your daughter's head size is, and it was off the bottom of the graph. I said off the bottom, it was in that bottom two percentile, and you look at that thinking, that's, that's yeah, not good. That's, that's, yeah. that's not good. I know that we started being referred to Kingston Hospital, to the genetics unit, to the specialist paediatric unit, and then genetics unit, and people started asking questions, not sinister questions they were very open saying we think something we need to investigate what's going on here and they would you know start measuring her fingers start measuring the size of her thumb looking at her face trying to see if there was any you know signs of um because some chromosomal well down syndrome obviously and other chromosomal disorders mm. manifest themselves with certain facial features or certain physical things so they started looking at all of that and once we were into that area then it seemed very unlikely that it was going to turn out that everything was fine. And they couldn't say that it still doesn't have a name? Or? No, they have did. They have done, I think, one round of... They took some blood and they took some hair and they did some genetic tests, but they didn't come back with anything. I think they tested for Rubenstein, Taby and... Uh, I can't remember the names. But they did or some... Or Ret is another one, I yeah. think. Can you... Yeah, I yeah. think I've heard of that one as well. Um, and they did some tests, but they didn't come back with, they didn't find what they were looking for, but they explained to us it's the number of 
different things that could be different, whether it's duplication or deletion or, you know, the chromosome is so huge and the number of things it could be is so massive. And fair play to the NHS. They have talked to us about doing more tests, but they said, look, it's going to cost a fortune. Not that that's your problem, that's NHS, but we have to tell you that it's very expensive, even if we find out what this unlikely will be able to find out what it is with the resources that we could give to this and even if we did probably not going to be any use to you Mm. just because you know there's something wrong with the 13th or 18th or whatever chromosome um it's probably so rare specifically what she has is so rare it's not like there's a great body of case work that tells you a prognosis or tells you i mean there's no cure yeah i mean you could get so bogged down in that couldn't you yeah you get lost in a world of what does this mean well you know if only three other people have ever been identified as having this that's not a big enough sample to let you know how their life developed mm. it's just i think spontaneous mutation i think they call it right. i probably got the words wrong but they said no, we, no, that's when the thing when joey was conceived something went wrong well that's the thing apparently you've got a 20 percent chance of having um another child on the spectrum if you already have one right um so lots of people have said to me oh well, if you were gonna have an operation there was 80 percent chance of it going right you'd do it and i was like You've not lived with Charlie. I don't know if you really would. Um, so I think I'm. I'm just going to stick with Charlie. Think he's yeah. he's he's my he's my man. Yeah, um, I think I, we've talked about this. Me and Sarah about the fact that they came that way round. You know, we had Frank, and then if it had been the other right way round, would would Frank? You know, would yeah. we have gone for Frank? And we know there's Joe has um, children in her class at the special school, and we know their parents a bit, and you know. There are some that have got children with quite severe learning disabilities or are on the spectrum and they've got like three more kids after that and you think, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, it just boggles the mind really how these people do it. So when Joey was like three or four, obviously the the talking never developed, but she... Because people say, oh, nonverbal, completely silent. She's not silent She's because no. Charlie is nonverbal, but he literally is like the loudest person I know. Oh, Joe's very, very vocal without being verbal. So is Charlie. Um, God, it does my, literally does my head in sometimes, I have to say. Yeah. Like he gets stuck on one noise and it's like, or he, he's quite like, he's, I call him Monty Python, he walks around doing these weird things with his legs and he's, could you change it? Please change it. Yeah. Joe's not quite like that. She's, um, for years we had a thing, she still does it. We called it the noise. We just called it the, the noise, which was a sort of low grade complaining about everything in life. So it would just be a sort of thing, but a bit more. And after a while, it just drives you insane. It's like, please just stop making the noise. It's so annoying. Do you think she can? Can she stop me? Yeah, do you think? Because well, I, I don't she, think Charlie can actually physically stop it. That's I th- what I've realised. I don't. She d- does it far less now. She does it a little bit. It's been replaced by, I think, more focused noise. So I think she now can. It, it's like more angry if she's angry, or more sort of uh, so it's insistent. A broad, it's a broader she, tone. It's a broad, broader tonally. And, the, the noise has developed in yes into distinct noises, which are I want this. I'm not happy with that. Turn that telly off. It, it's it's more expressive, but there was a time when it was just a... Just a monotone. Just a monotone. It was just, <laughs> Drill. <laughs> just drove you insane. People say that to me. They're like, how do you know Charlie means that? 
and I can just, I just know the noise because he has his annoyed <laughs> when he's really annoyed he wants you to not do or his happy noise or his like sad noise yeah yeah so Joe became yeah she never well she's got about four words so you have heard her voice speaking yeah. something oh that's so special I love it when I hear Charlie say a word she says mama which is enormously significant for her mother. she says it to her mother she doesn't say it randomly she knows that mum is mama this is recent um she knows granddad is gaga she can say hippo which is at all and she can say car if you 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 have to get her to say certain words. She doesn't say them spontaneously, but if you say, what's that over there? Is that the... She'll go, Kuh. I think hippo was her first word as such. The first recognisable word, though, was mama, which was... So special. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know... <laughs> I mean, Charlie, he was, like, really trying to get this word out, and he, he has about five words, I would say, and we were like, come on, Charlie, and he was going, oh. and then he went, Coke, cola! <laughs> And we were like, okay, you want a Coke, fine. And he says Coca-Cola, pepperami. He says rami. <laughs> and he says Ariel when he is scared. I don't know why he says that. I was um, doing a little bit of research. Yes. Uh, and I was reading about how you used to post sort of funny things um, because as we know, living with children with learning disabilities and there are funny things that they do and yeah. uh, so you started posting them on Facebook yeah I was on Facebook and I yeah you, you see other people posting stuff about their kids on Facebook and you think well actually I've got quite a funny story <laughs> so I would post just some of the some of the mad stuff she'd do you know she'd run into the room and throw a pint glass at my head to wake me up in the morning <laughs> yeah. You know, I've woken up and she's managed to get her the take the door handle off and stick it in a mug. That was another one. <laughs> yeah. Um, she there was a great one that is sort of in the show. It's not in the show, but that was a cute one actually. It wasn't a funny one. It was um she can write a little bit and we were trying to get her to do waves. She was waving a lot. She was going we were trying to get her to do waves, so me and her mum were both waving at her. And she wrote something on a pad and we leaned over and she hadn't written wave. She tried tried to write the word dad on it because mum was pointing at me, waving, saying, do wave. And that was like, that was like, oh, God. Um, so it, it was a mixture of, of those sort of stories. You know, the time I broke my shoulder trying to chase after it on Christmas Day, that sort of thing. Oh, OK. Um, wow. That was a good one. Um, that sounds really special, that one. Yeah, yeah. She ran off and I fell over and I was completely sober and uh, broke my shoulder on Christmas Day. If you were drunk, you probably would have hurt less. So so you were posting these things and people were saying, this this is fun. Or these these yeah. are warm, these are moving, they're, they're funny. And- yes, I, I didn't... Well, it's only my friends. I mean, the public, but so I expect my friends to be nice. But my friends were getting back and they were saying, this is... You know, I was getting loads of likes. People saying, oh, this is really sweet and everything and asking questions about Joey and saying this is funny and um, sort of some conversations with them saying, you know, I'm a comedy writer. I've done various things saying, why don't you do something with this? You know, nobody's... Do, I mean, you, do you remember the day you were like, I am? I remember, I don't know, it was about three and a half years ago. Yeah, I remember the 
penny dropping and turning to Sarah and saying, why the fuck do we put this on telly? Why don't we do something about this? And we had a big think and we were saying, well, what, you know, where else have you seen children like this and families like this being portrayed on telly? And it was just before the A word came out. So I'd done all the treatment and I handed it in. Then the A word came out and I thought, oh, the A word's done it. But I thought, well, actually, no, I'm doing it differently. To the A -word. I thought the A word, I don't know what you thought of the A word. So it's funny. So um, I, because I live autism every day, I find it quite difficult. And people say, oh, have you seen the A word? Or yeah. have you seen atypical? Or, you know, and I just think oh, I can't, I can't I'm live cold. it and watch it for fun. So when someone... When I actually, I actually didn't hear about it from anyone. I'd actually read something about There She Goes, and I thought, I'm going to give it a go. And I just could not believe my eyes. It was like my life. And I was like, I've never, I've never felt so not alone watching that because oh, the first fun. series, the first opening is, uh, well, sorry if I've got this not exactly right, but there's there's a bit in the beginning where. She's unruly. They're chasing her around the house and she goes into the kitchen and yeah. pours the milk. Because, again, my son has no understand. He, he can't process language. So telling him why something is not socially acceptable. And it was like, in a, you know, she was chasing. You know, she ran off into the road and he was pinning her down on the road. because. And I was like, oh, my God. And, you know, I think this is why when the penny dropped and I thought, I want to get Sean on the Autism Last podcast because so many parents from the hundreds of Facebook groups I'm joined up to are going, I've never seen my life on TV. Yeah. I've never seen a child like mine on TV. And it was like, uh, it was I, it was a hard watch. It is. It was a really, especially because it goes from the early days until well, the yeah. present day. We come on to talk about that. The... Um yeah, well, that's really heartening to hear you say that. And that chimes with some things that other people have said, which is a lot of people have said it was like watching my own life, which is the best possible review you could get. All we set out to do was to do something that was as truthful as possible. And the just to go back to the A word, I did. I thought the A word was great, but it wasn't what I lived. I'm not saying it wasn't accurate. I think it was accurate, but it wasn't my accurate. So... Because Joe's not got, um, well, she has aspects of autism, we think, but mainly she has a chromosomal disorder. So the other thing is my name on the credits, but me and Sarah wrote it, basically. Yeah. But Sarah's, she doesn't, she didn't live in TV world. She doesn't Because really... I read you, it was a more sympathetic, because the, the yeah, David yeah, Tennant yeah. is Simon, and the first draft, it was kind of written in a more sy sympathetic kind of tone yeah. towards him, and then showed it to your wife, and she was like, no. Uh -uh. no, exactly, exactly that. This is not how I remember you being. Exactly <laughs> that. I wrote the first pilot, which has sort of bits of the whole series in it, but it was very similar in terms of all the things we've just talked about, the, you know, the running around the house and in the road and all that. But yeah, it was very had a very strong element of um, this poor bloke and all the stuff he's got to put up with. Uh, and it wasn't. I read it a while back, and it's not certainly not dismissive of Sarah's role, but it's certainly more focused on me. And she just went, "You've just, you've got no conception, you have dick. You? you? You dick. <laughs> you've got no conception about what it was like there, or certainly in the early timeline." Yeah. And so, I mean, that in itself was uh, a interesting process to go through as we wrote it together yeah well i think that's why it's so special as well as a as a 
piece of work is it's not just you're watching the child saying, oh my God, this is so like my child. I've never seen a child that presents like this on TV. It's the parents and it's it's the gut-wrenching moment in the kitchen when she's mm-hmm. like, I need help, uh, you're not there. Um, and he's out drinking every night, can't cope because she's so unhappy. And But when you go to present day and they're seemingly kind of, you know, they've accepted and um, she, you know, she brings a lot of joy, but you still see the stress yeah. of every day. Yeah, we wanted to, we wrote the, the initial idea was to do the modern day thing and then we talked and said, well, that doesn't represent our experience of bringing up Joey and we should deal with the early thing because what we didn't want was for anybody watching it to think that what we didn't want was for anybody who had a young child with some sort of chromosome disorder or some you know these early stages that we were describing earlier on to watch the program and think that we were being glib about our experience and to think I would hate a bit if people watched it and thought well they're just putting a shiny gloss and it's nice for them because they're all happy and they seem to get on and life's a bit tough it's a bit stressful it's a bit it's a bit stressful but it's not fucking stressful for us it's beyond stressful for Mm. us and we remember what it was like to be like that and we thought i would hate someone to watch it and think it was just you know some some people saying oh don't worry everything's gonna be all right everything's fine we wanted to show the fact that for us it wasn't fine and it it really nearly unraveled and it could have unraveled so we put in the early scenes. I heard that you I read that you sometimes it was quite overwhelming. You'd have to leave because yeah. it was. I mean, the scene in particular, the one in the kitchen, um, gets me now. I don't go there. I wrote, and then I gave it to Sarah, and she rewrote it. And the version in the show is the one that she rewrote. When we filmed it, we filmed it for because you shoot two ways, obviously, in telly, and we filmed it first on David, and I was in pieces watching it. I'm, welling up now mm. in pieces watching it and I couldn't I couldn't sit there and when they were turning around on no. Jessica I couldn't watch that I'm just thinking about it. I mean the word that really I'm so you got it it was so true when you use the word grief because that's what it is you're, yeah. you're grieving for a child that you thought you were going to have and suddenly you have of course you love them, but, you know, we all have dreams for our children, but these yeah. dreams are suddenly, they're, they're, going, they're going away. And the reaction, and she was worried, she was really worried about, I was worried as well, but she was worried about it going out and she was saying, what will people think? What will people think about <laughs> admitting that you feel that about your children and say, because she says some bad things in that. Well, not bad things. Well, she, she says, says, I want, you know, I want, I'm, well, you know, I don't know if I can do this. She basically and, says, I, I don't want this. Yeah. I, she implies that it would have been better if Joey hadn't made it. Yeah, yeah. Hadn't made it to term. Yeah. Know, and and that's a pretty bleak well, thing to yeah. put in, what is this? These are true thoughts. Ostensibly a comedy program. and But what the response that she was really worried about it and the response that she got from that... Um, and it may not be universal, but it was an overwhelming response. I hope that putting that on screen will, um, hopefully it will offer some sort of, I mean, we didn't write the show to do anything other than just tell Joey's story. So we didn't, there's no great pretension to it, you know, being some huge help to anyone out there. But But it's an authored piece. But but it's it's an authored piece. That's all we set out to do. We didn't set out to do anything else. We didn't set out to tell anyone else's story, anyone else's truth. It was only our truth. But having said that, 
off the back of the show going out, you know, if if there are people out there who can watch the show and go, Jesus Christ, that's what I thought. I'm, it's, I'm normal. Yeah, well, I'm normal. thank normal. you to you and your wife because you did that for me and you did that well, for many other parents that I, I've, I've spoken to. So what's she, what's she like now? So she still likes hippos. She likes her iPad. Is there anything else that she, she likes? She likes her hippos. She likes her iPad. She likes... Oh, God. Are you surprised? Like, are you... Because obviously you're a huge inspiration to me because you've been living it and you're... You know, I was going to say you're, you're still happy, but no, <laughs> no, no. But you know, you're happy and you're content with your life, and you have that acceptance. But do, are you surprised by how she is now? Did you ever expect that? Because obviously, Charlie can't use an iPad, but I really hope he can one day because I'd like him to just sit down I and think, use an iPad. I think that we didn't have. We reached a point where we didn't have any expectations, and we still don't have. I think that's Any expectations. Sometimes. I think we reached a point where we didn't think what level of we had no hope about hope's the wrong word. That sounds like we were in despair. We weren't. I had no. no I, know what you I, mean. I set no target for what her level of uh, communication or cognition would be. I set no. I obviously hope that she would be toilet trained and we go to. The, she started going to the toilet for both now awesome um quite recently she's 12 so you hope that but we have got no we just accept that it's unlikely that she will ever leave her we just sort of don't look forward that much we sort of live in the moment yeah well that's that's the that's the beauty of what this kind of journey teaches you i think is that you know when charlie puts his head on my shoulder and we have a moment I'm like happiest girl in the world. Yeah, and you know, Joe. Two things. I'll come back to actually what she's doing. Yeah. This is quite funny. I yeah. mean, last night there was a thing where, um, and it was out of the blue because she, she'd never really done this before. But she's watching the night garden, and I'm there, you know, sitting through the night garden. When the night <laughs> is young, da, 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 you know, and and they're all get your hand out, Sean. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> and they're all going to bed and uh, I can't remember what order they go to bed in but they all go to bed and uh, everybody's going to bed and she came up and there was like a duvet in our, one, our little back room where we were watching it and she put it on me because I had to go to bed that's, that's like, sweet like, your heart melts I mean it's like it's living in the moment it's like yeah. why don't I remember that bit from today rather than you know so sweet wiping shit off a carpet <laughs> yeah. I'll remember oh, that oh yeah shit's a big big yeah. thing in our house yeah. yeah the thing that she does at the minute we can come back to shit the thing that she does at the minute oh, please. is that she is obsessed by draw not her drawing us drawing so we have to draw for her and she's obsessed by and it started out being quite like woozits and like toys that she's got you have yeah. to draw them. and we've got this picture up in our house and it's the only fuck knows when we it's when we bought the house we just saw this thing online and we bought it it's a surrealist picture we're really not this sort of people but we quite like this picture and it's really complicated it's by Eve Tangay it's really intricate surrealist weird picture and she really likes Sarah and me but mainly Sarah to draw it and it takes ages to draw ages and then when you finished it she looks at it and she points at bits that you've got wrong it's so intricate and you have to redo it until it's to so her. It shows quite a level of, yeah. especially as she can kind of sit and f sit down and focus on something for yeah, quite a while. It's fascinating. 
it would be fascinating and it would be a source of great pride and joy that she can do that and she's got that interaction. But for the fact that when she's in the mood, Sarah has to draw it like possibly eight or nine times a day. And also, if you do go out to a restaurant or you're out at someone's house or something, then she just gets the paper out and Sarah has to draw it from memory. So she's got it on her iPhone now so she can copy it. But I think she's probably drawn it now about four or five hundred times and it literally is the most boring thing in the yeah. world to possibly do. So so mine is... Um, you must have. So I have this about ten times a day. More? You want more sausages? You can't have any more sausages! <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, that gets him every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a screening of... Um, of the show for some charities and they were just amazing it was uh, Mencap was there and Scope was there and lots of really uh, unique was there's another one that deals with chromosomal disorders um, and it was just to sort of gauge them and try and get them on board and, and they were all brilliant everyone loved it and it was fine but afterwards it was like uh, has anybody got any questions and honestly the hands went up and all they wanted to talk about was shit <laughs> <laughs> there was one there was a lovely there was a really cool cool because in the show there. she because in the show which is another thing that I was like oh my god happens to other people yeah um, she, hides, she hides her poo yeah she hides it we didn't put her scrubbing it into the floor in but that's another yeah we and thought it, once we'd done that that was the that was the poo storyline <laughs> yeah. done but you know it's a sort of if if every single episode was literally an accurate representation of another day it would involve cleaning shit off the floor yeah um, but no this uh, one of the people at the screening just put her hands up and I think she's got a 15 year old daughter she said and she said we, we just laugh and we call it code red it's like code, code red, red. <laughs> I was having lunch I was having lunch al fresco in the garden and uh, Charlie's got a trampoline and he just so he's sitting there he just popped his bum out of the trampoline so doing shit like a horse <laughs> and I was like and my friends were like oh my god and I was like oh it's fine but um, so, what are you working on now? What are you so moving from shit to not shit? You're hopefully. not shit, hopefully. Um, at the minute, uh, I'm just. Is there going to be more, or is that five episodes? And it's, I mean, it's such a perfect piece. I don't know if we want to do more because I think that we can. I want to do more because the character, the, the character of Joe that Miley is playing in the program has moved on in the last sort of two years so obviously in the in there she goes Rosie isn't verbal she does she has less some of the things that we're talking about like the drawing of the pictures and the you know yeah none of that you yeah it's, that's not in no it. um and that's something that's happened over the last sort of few years that wasn't in that show and it would be quite nice to show development yeah I'd love to see that that journey yeah um and we have there's other stories to tell but on a very very basic level I I mean I'm very very happy with what we've done we're sort of talking to the BBC about it but I would like the opportunity to yeah to show that um, that's a sort of snapshot in time that first series and then I'd like to present a snapshot in time a few years later to yeah. say well look what's happened in the intervening period because the older brother as well you know it's like interesting brother. when he kind of gets to teenagers years how he kind of yeah I think there's 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 more things we could tell I don't know how much more we could I think we're slightly limited by time really and Miley and I'm sure she'd want to go off and do something else and you know we couldn't do it without her um, 
but I think if we could do maybe another five or whatever, then yeah. I think that would probably take the story up to where we'd want to tell it. And I think, oh, well, do. hopefully, if we can repeat what we did the first time, yeah. not because... make it into some broad farce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, please do, because as I said, it really, I don't know, you know, tr- change my life. It didn't, it's, that sounds too huge, but it really did make me feel like, uh, yeah, I wasn't alone, which... If, if well, I'm really glad that, 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 that you said that and I'm really pleased that if that's a product of this, telling us this story, then uh, then we're really proud. Yeah, and I just felt strong, like, after I watched it, I just felt stronger, like, so thank you so much. Thank you very much, that's very kind. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Cheers, Maisie. And I'll make you a cup of tea now, <laughs> ten years on. <laughs> thank you very much. Autism is a spectrum condition. All autistic people share certain difficulties, but being autistic will affect them in different ways. Some autistic people also have learning disabilities, mental health issues, or other conditions, meaning people need different levels of support. All people on the autism spectrum learn and develop. With the right sort of support, all can be helped to live a more fulfilling life of their own choosing. To learn more about autism, you can visit the National Autistic Society website on autism.org.uk. This podcast was created, written and edit produced by me, Maisie Clater. And the music that you hear in this podcast was written and produced by Kit Milsom, who also records and edits the show. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, maybe even write a little review and rate us. <laughs>